0: Thank you. WRFN LP pasquo This is Radio Free Nashville. I'm Creepy Steve. Welcome to Ghost Town. It's good to be back live this week. I was out last weekend. Nothing serious. Just helping out a friend in Jackson, Tennessee. I got to be a grill master for a day, which is always good for me. Something I enjoy very much. You're listening to the specials in the background with the Ghost Town theme, as we bring you every week for the intro. Okay, I've got a special guest today, in spirit of course, it's Ghost Town. Uh, This gentleman passed away last year, broke the hearts of uh, everyone across the universe. He had that much of an impact. I've never featured him before on my show, I've definitely played a track here and there, but uh, never a full-on feature. I've got a couple of 12-inch LPs to bring to you today, so it's going to be all one artist. (laughs) It's alright though, he's he's a good one. It's David Bowie here in Ghost Town today, and um, bringing you a couple of my favorite LPs here. I'm going to start off with Scary Monsters from 1980. I've got the uh, Canadian release, RCA Records, and uh, yeah, I'm going to play side A and side B, and I've got some great interview clips from the man going through all the songs on this one. It's going to be fun. We're going to start with the first uh, interview here. It's No Game Part 1. David Bowie and Ghost Town Radio Free Nashville.
1: Yeah. Um on the album there are two versions of It's No Game, the uh, the opening track and the closing track, both done in completely polarized styles. Uh I think, the, I think the reasoning behind that stemmed from wanting to not come out with one blatant sort of protesty song, but show that feelings of uh, anxiousness about society are expressed on different levels and with different intensities. And the, the course of the album takes you through a lot of the doubting and the uh, um, dilemmas that I myself as a writer find myself in. And so you open with one kind of protest, which gradually and insidiously becomes something less traumatic by the end, end of the album. Anyway, that's the way it's, it was originally focused. And now the, the, the opening version, it's almost uh, inarticulate at times, the, the vocals on it. And it owes an awful lot to John Lennon. Um, but there again, he was, always had that same intensity that I've, I hope that I capture in some of my things when, it, when I try that kind of move. Um, And the Japanese girl in it, I wanted to break down a particular kind of sexist attitude about women and and I thought that the Japanese girl typifies it where everybody sort of um, pictures them as the the geisha girl and very sort of sweet and demure and non-thinking, when in fact that is the absolute opposite of what women are like. They think. An awful lot (laughs) with quite as much strength as uh, any man, Um, so I, I wanted to sort of caricature that kind of attitude by having a very forceful Japanese voice on it, so I had a girlfriend of mine come out with a very sort of samurai kind of feeling. piece of music because it's, uh, it's um, what, it, what happens in the, by the end of it is that it actually makes some kind of commitment, um, but on first hearing it sounds as though it's a very sort of shrugged, almost cynical, uh, there's nothing we can do about it kind of attitude, which is thrown at you on a very MOR voiced kind of track. And um, so it really sort of sounds like the epitome of indifference. But in fact, the, I blocked it uh, from beginning to end with the, the extraordinary high-energy, frip, quasi bow thing that happens in the beginning and the end, which sort of bookend it and give it another kind of uh, switch. It has far more power than it would f- at first seem as a, a, a commitment. In fact, it has a very strong commitment, but it, it's disguised in indifference.
0: Backwards, We're right in the middle of a Bowie spotlight here in Ghost Town today. Very happy about that. You're listening to Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. That's uh, the 1980 release. After Berlin, after everything, after Ziggy. This is him starting to get into a whole new element. Well, I wouldn't say starting, but you know what? I'm not going to go down this nerdy Bowie road. You, uh, you know who the guy is. You've got your own ideas and opinions, so let's stick with that. Up the Hill Backwards, the second track on side A. You also heard It's No Game, part one. Here's Bowie talking about the song Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. The title, track.
1: It's sort of, no, it's uh, it really is a sort of a nasty piece of Londonism. It's uh, the character on that, and it is a character. It's not at all subjective. That was objective about I think, a few people I've met. Actually, he's, he's a sort of, uh, he's a criminal with a, a conscience, I think. Maybe it is about me. Let's see. Uh, He talks in terms of how he corrupted a fine young mind, Um, so it's the the corruptor talking, having his own self-doubts, I think. When I was thinking of how I was going to place uh, Major Tom in in this, hence, ten years later on, what would be the complete disillusion with the the great dream that was being propounded when they shot him into space ten years ago and had got such wonderful ideas? Um, This great technology was capable of putting him up there. When he did get up there, he wasn't quite sure why he'd been put there and we left him there, but now we come to him ten years later and we find that the whole thing has soured because there was no reason for putting him up there. It was an ego, a, a technological ego, which got him up there for no specific reason and just added more disaster because it was a, 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 a potpourri of, of, of technical ideas. And so the most disastrous thing I, I could think of is that he finds solace only in some kind of heroin-type drug uh, actually, being that the, the cosmic space itself was feeding him with an addiction, and he wanted, he wants now to return to the womb from whence he came. It's also a nursery rhyme. It's very much a 1980s nursery rhyme, and that is that. It, I think, 1980s nursery rhymes will have a lot to do with the 1880s, 1890s nursery rhymes, which were all rather horrid, and had little boys with their ears being cut off and stuff like that. Well, I think that this is, (laughs) we're getting round to that again. I think the idea of the Sesame Street, nice from nursery rhyme is possibly outdated, unfortunately. started going to discos in New York in the early 70s, there was a sort of a very high-powered enthusiasm um, and it was, had a kind of a natural course about it which seems now to have been replaced by a, an insidious grim determination to be fashionable, to as though it's actually a vocation there's, there's some kind of strange aura about it and I just wanted to sort of capture that feeling in, in the song fashion it's about that grim determination more than anything else
0: There you have it, wrapping up side A. Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. David Bowie, it's fashion. Succeeding Ashes to Ashes. You also heard Scary Monsters and Super Creeps, Up the Hill Backwards, and It's No Game, part one. You like that crackling in the background? Should I let it go? Uh, This was released in uh, September of 1980 on RCA Records. The final studio album uh, on this label with David Bowie. Uh, This followed the... uh, infamous Berlin Trilogy of low Heroes, and Lodger between the years of 77 and 79. And uh, this is considered a, the perfect balance to date at that point uh, between creativity and commercialism for Bowie. Um, he was uh, making an effort to write songs ahead of time, more so than uh, improvising experimenting in the studio, kind of building the songs as they go, um, as he did in the, uh, the late 70s with the Berlin Trilogy. Um, This uh, was co-produced by Tony Visconti, Uh, Brian Eno had left at this point, Chuck Hammer was the other producer, Uh, Robert Fripp returned on uh, guitar, adding his flavor after he took a break uh, on the Lodger record. Um, Yeah, this is uh, all credited to to David Bowie except for the uh, Tom Verlaine cover, we'll get to that here shortly on side B. All right, keep chilling with me in Ghost Town. I'm Creepy Steve. This is Radio Free Nashville. We're hanging with David Bowie. Gonna uh, play the uh, the entire Scary Monsters record, and then I got another one on the way for you. So it's Bowie Sunday. It's about time, if you ask me. Okay, uh, let's see here. Teenage Wildlife and Side B coming your way. This is Ghost Town.
1: I definitely set out to write write an archetype. Yeah, uh, I've always been impressed with that kind of song, and. I've, from time to time, attempted to write those kinds of songs. I think this is one of the m- more successful. I guess it would be addressed to a mythical teenage brother, if I had one. Or maybe it's addressed to my latter-day adolescent self, I'm not sure. I'm trying to correct all those things that one thinks one's done wrong, or, you know. Um, trying to approach a young mind that is not forearmed to the hypocrisies that he will encounter and the the stubbornness to change that people have and to accept change and to flow with it rather than become reactionary and fight against it, which produces the terrible conflicts that we find around us. I don't believe in this high-tech society at all. I don't believe it does exist. I think that's a great myth. I think the h- idea of high-tech songs, high-tech music, computer button, whatever—it's—it's uh, it's not like that. It's on a very emotional, people-level, flesh and blood. It's—it—it it, it, one foresees it becoming even more terrifyingly real. Anti-tech, um, the the old symbolic street fighting thing probably won't not be as symbolic as it was, but will become a reality. One can foresee it in the in the, the dreadful, uh, the dreadful eighties. Um, and this is, I guess, one of my... I lapse into this sort of future nostalgia thing, often. <laughs> it can be evidence by looking at any album I've made, and I, that that particular piece of music, is it, it does reflect that. It's um, writing... Taking a past look at something that hasn't actually happened yet, but one kind of sees that Orwellian thing.
2: Well, I buy no merchandise, but I go to war. I mixed with other colours, but the nurse doesn't care. I hide under blankets What did I run away? I really can't remember Last time I saw
0: like a baby we're getting through side b of scary monsters and super creeps the 1980 release by david bowie i'm playing you the uh the canadian release put out on rca records from 1980 Um, acquired this kind of recently i was very excited about it and still excited about it Um, we got a track coming up this is a tom verlaine cover you might remember that name he was the front man for the band television quite possibly the first act booked at CBGB club in the lower bowery in new york city that might have been 1974 i think somewhere in there um yeah so uh you know david bowie is always hip to uh who's doing the uh the good stuff of the day you know he was always really good about staying on top of uh the newest art that was out and uh taking inspiration from it that's what's cool is uh the guy's ego never uh never superseded the uh, his interest in uh, staying humble and taking in uh, inspiration. I think that's pretty cool. Um, okay, Tom Verlaine's Kingdom Come coming up after this. Here's Bowie on the subject. You're in Ghost Town.
1: I think he's one of the finest new writers in New York. He's really terrific. I think he's got. I wish he had a much bigger audience. Um, I feel sure that he will have a much bigger audience shortly. Um, and this was one of my favorite uh, things that he put on the. Uh, last album that he had out um, and Carlos Alomar and myself decided it would be a great piece of music to um, do our own version of. So I did it as sort of a uh, a, nod, a nod of the head to um, Ronnie Spector really, very slightly, <laughs> somebody else that I might admit. was very kind of him, he came down and listened to it and decided that he would like to play on it, so he did. (laughs) Um, oh that's a love song, there you are, (laughs) there's not much more I can say about that. It's uh, I feel, I guess I've adopted the the role of a sort of an old Rue in that one, (laughs) looking down on these two young mad things and knowing that it's all going to sort of fizzle out. God, I'm a depressive person, I, I? (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's david bowie talking about um pete townsend from the who who was uh featured on this next track because you're young you're in ghost town listening to scary monsters and super creeps the 1980 david bowie release continuing on
1: The overall feeling of the way I've I've worked with uh, It's No Game at the end of the album was to what happens when when a protest or an angry statement is is thrown against the wall so many times that that the speaker finds that he has absolutely no more energy to give it any impact anymore, and so it comes over in that very sort of lilting, very melodic kind of superficial level. The, the sentiment is exactly the same as in the, the first one, on the first side, but the, uh, the ambience has changed. It's a gentle, sort of, almost nostalgic kind of thing, quality to it, rather than the very angry, vehement statement on the beginning of the album. It's the two sides of, of, of social protest.
3: Silhouettes and shadows Watch the revolution No more free steps to heaven Just walkie-talkie Heaven or heart Just big heads and drums Full speed and pagan And it's no game Don't understand The situation So where's the moral People have their fingers broken To be insulted by these fascists Is so degrading And it's no game Into pieces. Draw the blinds on yesterday, and it's all so much scarier. But a book It's some treadmills or garbage sorting, and it's no grave.
0: Well, that wraps up David Bowie's 1980 RCA Records release Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. Oh, yeah, can't forget this part. <laughs> We'll let it play out, folks. It's all part of the recording. That does it, you heard. It's No Game Part 2 just there. Also, Because You're Young, featuring Pete Townsend, Tom Verlaine's penned Kingdom Come from his self-titled solo record to complete Side B of Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. Okay, another one of my favorite Bowie records coming up. It's Bowie Sunday. There's no stopping me now. WRFN LP Pasquo. We're at the top of the hour. One hour left. One more record. Plenty of interview clips to come. This, is, uh, this was released on RCA in January of 77. And uh, this was recorded following Bowie's move to West Berlin after some personal things going on in Los Angeles, just in general, Um, You'll hear him explain that in his own words, so I'll leave it to him. Um, This is the first of three collaborations with musician um, Brian Eno, as far as producer, and also Tony Visconti, um, those two co-producing a series of Bowie records. Um, Let's see here. I'm just going to get right into it. This is from 77. Um, Here's a little uh, kind of a documentary slash interview clip I dug up talking about this time period. And uh, Bowie's moved to Berlin and uh, the, the great creations that came after the fact. I'm Creepy Steve. You're in Ghost Town. 1977.
4: So let's see what happened that year. Jimmy Carter had just succeeded Gerald Ford as the 39th president of the United States, whilst in the UK, Queen Elizabeth II celebrates her Silver Jubilee. Blissfully unconcerned about the outbreak of punk rock in the pubs and clubs of Britain, Led Zeppelin set a new world record attendance for an indoor concert. 76,226 persons, if you're interested. In film, George Lucas's Star Wars was presented to the world, and in the realms of sugar-coated pop music, Fleetwood Mac unleashed the middle-of-the-road phenomena known as Rumours. Meanwhile, living in an apartment at Hauptstrasse 155 Schoenberg, Berlin, David Bowie was taking stock of his life after a notoriously drug fueled but creatively outstanding few years. Painfully thin, having survived a two-year regime on what has since become known as a white diet, cocaine and milk, Bowie, as Bowie does, retreated to the German capital to feast on its largely unexploited cultural riches. A new genre of music had appeared. We now reverentially refer to it as Krautrock. The Germans don't. Bands like Noi, Faust, Can, and particularly Tangerine Dream and Kraftwerk impressed David with their motoric beats and often guitarless musical soundscapes, all of which helped shape Bowie's output at that time. Three classic albums, namely Low, Heroes, and Lodger, all made in Berlin with a number of key collaborators. You're about to hear David Bowie in conversation with Radio 1's Stuart Grundy who is tentatively pussyfooting around an issue seemingly concerning Bowie's former colleagues and sidekicks. Well, Stuart, what exactly is it you're driving at? What I'm really driving at, I suppose, is that
5: once upon a time there was David Bowie and then there was the band, uh, a band. Yeah. Have you tired, perhaps, of carrying all the responsibility on your own shoulders, or, or is this just a natural progression for me Well,
1: you. yeah, I think it's a natural progression in as much that I, I needed somebody to work with to relate to if I was going to discover for myself how I was going to write in the future. I needed some help. Um, I couldn't do it myself because I couldn't look at myself properly in, in, at the time. And I think I was very fortunate in deciding on such a, uh, an empathetic git as Zeno to work with, who is an absolutely... Wonderful man, terrific, and in fact the funniest thing really is that we spent, I think, for every hour that we recorded in the studio, he has an incredible sense of humour, I don't know whether you know Eno at all, um, Fripp and you know, and I think spent about 40 minutes of every 60 laughing, I mean, it's just incredibly surrealistic humour that Brian can come up with, and indeed Fripp, Fripp has that you know much more of don't-do-earth type of humour, <laughs>
5: Let me ask you about the lyrics because it seems to me that your lyrics nowadays are becoming uh, more obscure unfathomable than they used
1: to be yes they are aren't they yeah um well there is a logic behind that if only i could think of it no um what i did i i i'm working very much in fragment lyrics now even more than i ever did i mean, it started with diamond dogs there are a couple of tracks on that that were written um with a lot of inspiration due to um Burrows's work William Byrott. Um and I've really taken the plunge on this last album, I suppose, and uh, it's arrived at by putting together three or four statements at variance with each other, sometimes completely unrelated statements, and from those, say, arbitrary three statements, one arrives at a fourth piece of information from the, the rearrangement of what, what is involved. Now that sounds like an awful easy thing to do, well it is, and I think everybody should do it.
5: I remember you telling me something before about writing things down on bits of paper and rearranging them.
1: Is I mean, is yeah. this
5: what you literally it's do? The,
1: yes, it's the cut-up technique, a cut-up technique. It was a very popular writing form in the, in the 60s. I mean, it's sort of quite reactionary, really. I also like the um, spontaneous writing, just writing for the sake of it and then rereading it and seeing what came out. You see, you must understand, I mean, it all sounds incredibly indulgent, and indeed it is, because what I'm trying to do is... is mold um, the traditional methods of rock and roll with um, newer processes. I mean, it is a re-evaluation and it is trying to find a, a, new, a new form of language, musically. Or artistically, I guess, because I'm not a musician, but artistically. But it does make the lyrics less accessible on surface level, but you see, I think that they are very accessible on a, a subconscious and emotional level. Um, That was the point of cut-up writing, is that it didn't relate to linear thought at all. It worked very much on on the the spontaneous and and, uh, immediate images that one gets in one's mind, especially when one's driving, one thinks in incredibly fast shapes and forms. And it can relate very strongly on that level.
4: And this is David Bowie in conversation with the BBC's Stuart Grundy, October 1977. At this point, David Bowie has been in show business for approximately 16 years, and in that time has been influenced by Lionel Bart and Anthony Newley, mod bands such as a Who, as well as The Kinks, Dylan, Lou Reed and Iggy Pop, more of whom later. But recently, Bowie had been quoted as saying he's tired of being a pop star and would be quite happy to not sell any more records, so he could then concentrate on his painting. Disbelieving, Stuart Grundy had asked if this was right. There's one bohemian half of me which sort of says,
1: I wish they'd never buy another one, then I could go back and be a painter. And the other part says, well, who's going to gratify your ego then? And the other one says, well, I'll be a successful painter. (laughs)
5: Well, that that really prompts uh, a question I was going to ask you right at the end, (laughs) but I'll ask it now. I really wanted to know if at any time in your career you'd ever had to ask yourself the question, what the bloody hell am I doing? How did I get into this? I wish I could get out and be an ordinary. Person.
1: Oh God! Yeah. And when Los Angeles, I mean, I was talking to myself and receiving those idiotic replies all the time. I, <laughs> I, I'd quite cut down the middle there, um, and I really one, I some particular incident, um, which I really don't want to go into now, brought me back down to earth with a bump, and I, that's when I sort of decided to get out of that area of, of rock and roll that I. I always used to despise and found that i'd sort of got myself involved in without really seeing that i was getting involved in it and sort of dropped out again to use an old term um, and get back on my old curuac road and just travel again you know Um, just to help me reevaluate as i say and so along with that being a personal problem it applied to my work of course as it must do because with me the way i live is very much also part of the what produces my work so I have to keep examining my life to make sure that I'm in constant change and not getting too bloated with um, uh, philosophic opulence keep sort of throwing bits and pieces away and by do I to change countries is one way (laughs) to
3: You're just a little girl with grey eyes Never mind, say something Wait until the crowd cries Oh, wait until the crowd cries You're just a little girl with grey eyes Deep in your room You never leave your room Something deep inside of me A yearning deep inside of me Talking through the gloom
2: What in the world can you do? What in the world can you do? I'm in the mood for your love, for your love, for your love, for your love. love.
3: Ah. I'm just a little bit afraid of you, cause love only.
5: If I were to have one criticism of uh, the Bowie of today, the Bowie on Low, and Heroes, I'd say that it, we don't seem to be getting as much of your vocals as we used to do. In fact, I mean, almost the whole of the second side of Heroes is is mm. instrumental. I think that's a
1: very great pity. Mm. Uh, what can I say? Um, I haven't. Ri- I've only written that many songs, and I, the rest of it was instrumental. I, it, Yes, I, I, I'm sorry.
5: <laughs> but you're obviously very happy with this album, I think you
1: were saying earlier. I'm happy with the album. I'm also happy with life in general, actually.
4: I'm, I'm very content at the moment. I hope it goes on like this. it would be super. B2 Schneider. Stuart Grundy grilling an artistically fulfilled, contented, self-confessed bohemian, would-be painter David Bowie, 1977. Over the years, Bowie had forged close relationships with an array of hugely talented musicians and producers, one of which, Iggy Pop, we'll hear from shortly. There was also Mick Ronson, the platinum-haired Axeman who helped create the thrilling sounds heard on Bowie's records from 1970's The Man Who Sold The World right through to their last collaboration proper, Pinups in 1973. Tony Visconti had been producing David's records off and on ever since and was once again back in the fold, Also working with Bowie, empathetic git Brian Eno and guitar wizard Robert Fripp on his most recent album, Heroes. Back to 1977 and Berlin we go to find out exactly how this dream team worked together. Yeah, there's a a
1: communication um, prospect with them approaching it when we approach any album, which is one knows that one's already defined one's area with them. I mean, we don't have to talk very much before we start playing anything. You mean you've developed your own language or yes, communication system? definitely, definitely. Yes. A bit like bats.
5: <laughs> With these last two albums, you've certainly settled down into what is a, a, a more stable situation, I think. Uh, does that mean that you're no longer the chameleon? or did, did you tire of creating new faces, new images for
1: yourself? Yes, I did tire of it. Uh, they were starting to get me down, in the States especially, I, was, I, I had all these people. I'll tell you a funny story about that. When I left Los Angeles, uh, the way I, I psychologically rid myself of all those people for a bit was to open a wardrobe door and to push them in mentally, and then I locked the wardrobe door and I still got the key, <laughs> which I think is a sort of a hedging one's bet, really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I'd gone all the way, I should have thrown the key away, but I didn't. Does that mean that when you when you came
5: over to Europe, you, you really had had quite enough of L.A. and its people, or what?
1: Uh, not only L.A. and its people, but my approach to writing. I was tiring of the method that I was writing in. I, I wanted to develop a new language, and uh, so I, I knew that my next move was to have to do that.
0: We are right smack in the middle of side A of David Bowie's low record released in 1977 on RCA Records. And uh, you just heard Sound and Vision, also What in the World, Breaking Glass, and Speed of Life. i have got a few more here for you on side A. And um, yeah, plenty of time left in Ghost Town. But be sure and stay tuned because at the top of the hour, Matt the Proud Man will be in the house bringing you RFN Weekend to carry you through your Sunday with the soundtrack that has shaped your life and will continue to do so. So there you have it. All right, this is Radio Free Nashville. I'm Creepy Steve hanging with David Bowie. We're listening to The Low Record. Here's the man in interview and then we will continue with Side A.
5: When I said I wanted to talk about the last two albums, my feeling about Low was, and you've already talked about Eno, was that there was as much... Eno on that album as there was David Bowie. Is that a good thing, David?
1: Um, I think there was an awful lot of Eno influence on the album. I think that sort of is fairly uh, to be expected. I mean, when one one works with somebody that one admires, one tends to sort of move more in their areas and give them wider berth for, for showing you something new. And I think that was fairly evident on Low, Although um, proportionate amount of work done was about equal. It was defi- it was a collaboration, no doubt about that. I would um, be wary of, of committing myself to saying that it was uh, one-sided on either part though. Um, this new album is even more a successful blending of, of what we're doing, I think. Not quite so obviously this or that. It's um, a highly successful collaboration, the new one. And with the addition of Fripp as, as um, middleman. I think that helps an awful lot, is not it?
4: From Bowie's metallic masterpiece Heroes, and featuring the deft touch of Robert Fripp on guitar, Beauty and the Beast. As well as singer, songwriter, musician, painter, actor and mime artist, Bowie had also cast himself occasionally in the role of record producer. His most successful production job up to that point being Lou Reed's camp masterpiece Transformer, an album about which some journalists accuse Bowie of trying to turn the New York legend into a thinly veiled replica of his own glam self. A vanity project, something Bowie's always vehemently denied. Steady how you go, Stuart. You've produced a couple
5: of albums with Iggy, and my feeling is that he is becoming very Bowie-esque.
1: Well, you know, um, I think there was probably a little bit too much of me than was necessary on Idiot, but I think that was more because Iggy was still feeling his way again after a considerable absence from things. But I would tend to disagree. I think Lust for Life is far more like the old Iggy than um, anything he's done for a long time. And he really is very much his own boss, you know. Um, I think that he's been able to shake my phantom off fairly quickly, considering. Which is, I know, it's unfortunate, but every time I get involved with an artist, I mean, I, that always tends to be one of the criticisms levelled at anything that comes as a result of our working together. But uh, I think, I think Iggy's going to get even stronger in the future.
5: So you do think you've avoided most of the inherent dangers in that sort of professional relationship?
1: I don't know. You see, I mean, I hope so for his sake. I mean, you know, it's uh, and. He seems very happy with things as they are. Uh, He fully intends to do another album with me, so um, I can't see that we've gone very wrong, um, as far as he's concerned, and it's him that it's it's all about. So it's most important that he feels at ease with the situation.
5: Okay, well, the producer's just been giving us the wind-up here, so let me ask you a couple of quick questions, right? (laughs) You seem to have been spending a bit of time over here recently, at least, you know, if one looks at the press, we've seen your photograph on various occasions.
1: Have you...? Yeah, that's misleading, actually. I've been over here quite a bit, yes, but I've also been in the Far East a lot. But I fly a lot, you see, now. And so I fly, it makes it seem as though I'm here a lot because I keep popping in and out. But I often try and get back to Japan as much as possible because I haven't finished looking around there. Is that going to be your next base, do you think? (laughs) Funny you should ask that. It might well be.
5: OK, just one more question then. If we could look at your diary for the next few months,
1: uh, what's planned for you? Um, Well, rather obvious answer, I'm going to travel. (laughs) I'm doing nothing but travelling for the next up until at least December. A few countries i want to go as israel south america and africa that's what i intend to do and what about the tour sometime next year depending on the, on the film that i'm doing and uh, the film you're
5: doing is this something of your own creation no
1: or... it's um <clears throat> was brought to my attention by clive donner uh, it's a period of the uh, life of uh, an expressionist painter called egon sheila and it's uh, around the period 1900 1918 and takes place in Vienna and Paris. And this is a, a sort of an intimate portrait of, the, of his relationship with his model. Not in, too intimate, it's not a sensation, it's just, just good cuisine, you know, good food, that kind of thing.
5: Okay, we will look forward to it and look forward to the tour as well. Thanks, David. Pleasure, bye-bye.
2: Blues children out there. Y'all tune in to Have Blues Will Travel Thursday nights 8 to 9 on Radio Free Nashville. Going to give you that good down-home blues, y'all.
3: Oh
0: Switching gears here with David Bowie. This is Side B we're into now on the 1977 release *Low*. This was the forerunner album for what's known as the Berlin Trilogy, also *Heroes* and *Lodger*. The other two records. Um, Bowie was definitely influenced by uh, European electronic music at this point in his career, and sees the opportunity to uh, incorporate. His own style of it on this uh, this record for the first time. Um, apparently, um, he was in let's see, I think it was Paris. Um, he was yeah, he's in Paris attending court hearings against his former manager. And uh, while this was going on, Eno was in the studio in Berlin uh, working on what would become Warsaw. That's how I think you pronounce that right. It's like Warsaw but uh Warsaw and uh he came up with the theme for that while Bowie was in Paris um actually he was aided by uh producer Tony Visconti's four-year-old son who sat next to Eno playing a b c in a constant loop at the studio piano and this phrase became the theme for the song um and then upon Bowie's return Eno played him the work and uh, Bowie was impressed and then composed the vaguely uh eastern european sounding lyrics um this is uh, according to French music journalist Mathieu Thibault. The onomatopoeic choral chants have no precise meaning and were composed instead in the service of atmosphere, delivered in three different voices and overdubbed atop one another. Okay, uh, if uh, you don't have headphones, I suggest you put them on because this, uh, this stuff sounds extra cool with the headphones on. I'm, I'm really digging it in the studio. I got the lights turned down low. I think it's, uh, I think it's good. I think we're good. I'm Creepy Steve. You're hanging in Ghost Town with David Bowie. This is his 1977 release, Low, continuing with Side B. In the middle of David Bowie's low record, that was Art Decade. Weeping Wall wall coming at you. Continue on, continuing on with side B of David Bowie's 1977 release, "Low," out of the Berlin Trilogy period of his career and life. He skedaddled from Los Angeles and the overwhelming entourage and uh, just the general fame that he was seeing since his uh, Ziggy Stardust period and just needed to get away, find some creativity again, which he found in Germany, heavily influenced by bands like Kraftwerk. The electronic uh, music scene coming out of Germany and and, in Europe beyond Um, but that's what we're featuring right now a very instrumental side B of low sounds completely different from side a which was more uh, pop savvy a little more radio friendly if you will but I'm I'm really digging this on a Sunday it's kind of hot outside I'm just chilling in here the lights are low you're in ghost town I'm creepy Steve stay tuned the top of the hour Matt the proud man bringing you RFN weekend This is Radio Free Nashville, continuing on with David Bowie's Low. Right, that does it for Bowie's low record released in 77 on RCA Records. You also heard the Scary Monsters and Super Creeps record from 1980. That does it, double dosage of Bowie, one-two punch. Maybe we'll get into another album of his in the near future. All right, Matt the Proud Man coming your way with RFN Weekend. It's been a pleasure, folks. I'm Creepy Steve signing off on another Sunday here. We'll see you next week. Make sure you stay tuned. The soundtrack to your life coming at you. Radio Free Nashville, WRFN LP Pasquo. The time is two o'clock.
2: WRFN LP Pasquo, W279CH Hermitage. We are